All right, there we go. We have the opportunity, as we have just witnessed, to begin the Advent season. In just a moment, I'm going to uh, maybe just again describe a little bit about what Advent is all about. Um, And today, it's going to be an interesting uh, time as we look to God's Word. Um, We are starting an Advent series that will take place for uh, the four Sundays before Christmas, and then we'll have... Uh, and then uh, Christmas sermon, because Christmas is Sunday, and New Year's, and the week after New Year's, there's, we're going to have a break from the book of Matthew, but we are going to be looking at, specifically for the next four weeks, uh, the Advent, the coming of the Messiah. Uh, as we talk about Advent, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's, it's a word for arrival or for coming. And so we are going to be doing that together over the next four weeks uh, as we lead up to Christmas, and uh, we have the opportunity Christmas weekend to celebrate together on Christmas Eve as well as Christmas Day, and so we look forward to that. But as we look forward to that and wait for that, we will be preparing um, for that uh, time as we go through Advent together as a church. So, um, before I even get into all that we're going to be looking at today, before we start diving into today's message... I just want to start by asking a a question of you all and of myself, really, is uh, what is it like to wait for Christmas? So it might be different for everybody. Some of you uh, are waiting for Christmas as soon as Thanksgiving comes. uh, You're already, I mean, you're you're ready. Your lights are up. Everything's ready. You just then, at that point, just have to wait a month. You're just waiting a month for it to come. Uh, Some of us wait till the week before. Uh, actually, some of us, what I, my family has chosen to do, which made things so much easier this year, is to keep a Christmas tree up all year, call it a holiday tree, and then you don't have to put it up. So that's kind of nice. You can't do that if you've got a real tree. I understand that's a problem. But uh, what is it like to wait for Christmas? Now, I remember as a kid what it was like to wait for Christmas. It was, uh, it was excitement. It was uh, a little bit of nervousness about what I was going to get and how people were going to receive the gifts that I was going to give. And there was lots of things that I would be thinking about as I would be getting ready for Christmas as a child. Uh, and I remember how hard it was to wait. Uh, a specific uh, memory I have is my parents telling me, listen, all your gifts are in our closet. Uh, when, as I got older, they told me this, and they said, but they're not wrapped or anything, and if you choose to look, you're going to ruin your own Christmas. But I remember being tempted every single day, because, who's laughing at me? Oh, wow. I didn't realize I was that funny. <laughs> what Oh, okay. <laughs> I love it. Uh, anyway, okay. Uh, somebody was going to put my face pillow in a, in a chair today to distract me. Um, and I said I can't get distracted. Obviously, that's not true. Um, so, um, anyway, so waiting for Christmas, what that is like. And I remember as a child what that was like, that excitement that would build and build and build and build until the day would come to the point where most even, most Christmas Eves, we'd go to church, we'd, we'd have a thing at our house where we'd light candles and, and read the Christmas story and we were really excited and then, and then I would go to bed, but I wouldn't really go to bed, right? I'd be awake, I, I'd be awake half the night. I remember times that I would sneak out to the living room and, and I ended up sleeping on the couch and then my parents would be really mad the next day. But I remember how exciting it was to wait on Christmas. And yet at the same time, there was a little bit of, uh, of like I said, that nervousness, anxiety almost a little bit. So I don't know what it is for you. Now as an adult, things have changed a little bit. Uh, but So maybe for you, you're waiting uh, on Christmas and you're waiting with excitement. Maybe some of you are waiting with a little bit of trepidation. Uh, and in either case, there is a lot of emotion that comes as we wait for something that we so desperately 
want to see or something that we know is coming. And today I want us to think about how we respond, even in the, the month, and by the way, some of you I know have already, your Christmas shopping's done, you were done by Halloween, like, uh, waiting for you, you, there's no patience, right? It's all done in October. But no matter what, there's a period of time where we are waiting on Christmas, even if you say it's the whole year. Like, uh, I, I always laugh when I see people posting things on the internet or something like, Oh, only 364 more days to Christmas. Like, okay, there's a whole lot going to happen between now and then, guys. But, um, but the point is we love to wait, and, and sometimes there's a lot of emotion that comes with waiting. And I want us to think about that as we talk about what we're going to talk about today. So the purpose of Advent. The purpose of Advent uh, is actually the idea of waiting. Uh, the purpose of Advent, the Advent season is meant to prepare us, is to prepare our hearts as we wait for Christmas. The celebration of Jesus coming to the earth as our Savior and King. So as we talk about what Advent is, these four weeks, what the whole point is, is that we are preparing ourselves for Christmas. We're preparing ourselves to celebrate the coming of the King, Jesus Christ. We have that opportunity, and that's why we take these four weeks to do that. And, and, uh, and each candle is lit is going to remind us of different things that Jesus is bringing to the world, has brought to the world. And, and so for four weeks, we prepare our hearts as we wait for Christmas. It's a, it's, uh, as we think about Advent, it's not Christmas itself. It's, it's, the, it's the road that prepares the way for Christmas. And today, uh, we're going to talk about Advent, we're going to talk about what it means to wait, and we're going to talk about what it means to prepare. So I want to talk about the fact, though, as you see the, the title of today's sermon is Advent 2.0, is that Advent is interesting because there was one Advent, the coming of Jesus as a baby on Christmas Day, but there's also a second Advent coming, and I want to compare those two today, and I want to draw us into this idea that we are, right now, yes, we're in a four-week Advent period as we, as we wait for Christmas, but even bigger, we're in an Advent period of preparing and waiting for something even greater, which is Jesus' second Advent, which is him coming back again to the world to judge sin and to bring salvation once and for all to the world and to us as his people. And so, as we think about that, we're going to talk about the first Advent versus the second Advent, and we'll get there in just a moment. Now, I want to talk about the first Advent season. The very first Advent season, now we spend four weeks getting ready for Christmas. But really, the first Advent season can be seen in the whole Old Testament. So, and I'll say, actually, probably from Genesis 3 all the way on. Right, so I don't have time to go through the whole story of the Bible, although many of you know that, but we, we understand that God created the world, it was very good, and then Adam and Eve chose rebellion and sinned against God, they ate a fruit that they were not supposed to eat, and sin was ushered into the world, and death that would separate people from a relationship with God, from his presence, would happen, and that was going to be true, and sin had brought death, and there was seemingly no hope. But even in Genesis chapter 3, there is hope that is given to us, as God tells Adam and Eve that there is going to be one that's going to come to destroy the serpent. And from that point on, throughout the whole Old Testament, no matter we're talking about historical events, whether we're talking about prophecies that are made, uh, and looking to the future of what's coming, but the whole Old Testament is pointing towards the sin problem that has brought death is going to be resolved, and it's going to be resolved through the birth of a Messiah, a birth of a Savior. 
And so through the whole Old Testament, just put yourselves in the place of the, the Jews as they have the whole Old Testament, the thousands of years really of that whole time period from Adam and Eve all the way until Jesus comes, they're waiting for this Messiah to come to the world. Not only are they waiting for it, but they're preparing for it. They're looking forward to what's going to come as their Savior comes. Now, as we've been looking through the book of Matthew, you understand, and if you don't, they weren't really looking for the right type of Messiah. They were looking for a warrior to come in and to defeat all their enemies. They didn't realize that the Messiah was coming to defeat their greatest enemy, which was sin and death. And so, as they prepare, they're ready for their Messiah, and for thousands of years, as I said, people have waited for that one that is going to destroy the serpent, the one who would once and for all bring an end to, all, to, to the power of sin and death. And, and they've been looking forward to that for all of these years, out throughout the whole Old Testament. As you read the Old Testament, you can't help but feel this, this expectation that is just flowing out of the pages of all the people of God as they just wait and wait and are preparing and looking for the coming of the Messiah. And then, after the Old Testament, by the way, you have a 400-year time. We have four weeks to wait. This is 400 years in which the people of God uh, didn't hear anything from God directly from a prophet. And so for 400 years, they've also been waiting without hearing anything. And they've been waiting for the Messiah to come that had been promised since Genesis chapter 3. And that was really the first Advent season. So yes, it's tough to wait four weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But imagine waiting thousands of years and then 400 just waiting for the Messiah who has promised to come. And as we see, people definitely, even through that time, tried to do things themselves to bring that quicker or to think that they could somehow bring what the Messiah would bring. But at the end of the day, they were looking and preparing and ready for someone to come. The Messiah would come. And so think about what that must have been like for the Old Testament person. We've got, we've got so much more. We've got the New Testament. We understand that Jesus is already here. And so for us, we look back to the first advent. That's what we do as we light these candles. That's what we do for the next four weeks. We look back at the first advent. We look back at the fact that Jesus came as a baby in Bethlehem to to come to, yes, conquer enemies, but the enemy of sin and death through his life, his perfect life, and then his death on the cross, his resurrection. All of that comes as a result of him coming as a baby to this earth. God himself visits his people, and the Messiah comes to save us from our sin, which we'll talk about in a moment. But that first advent we get to look back to We get to celebrate. We get to remember that first advent. So our emotions might be a little different. As as they were looking forward to it, we are looking back and we are thankful. As they were looking forward in anticipation, we look back in gratitude. However, as I already said, the Bible is very clear that Jesus is alive and coming back again. And so in a very real sense, it's called the second advent of Christ. The second advent of the Messiah is still to come. We, much like the Old Testament people, except we have much more understanding of what's happening, is that there is a second advent coming that the Bible has talked about, and we need to be ready for it, and we need to be waiting for it. Are we waiting in eager anticipation of Jesus coming again? Are we waiting in eager expectation of him coming again in a way that is going to bring us to the point where we are living a life that is preparing for him to come back and take us? And as we look to this today, I know this isn't a classic Christmas uh, message, 
We're not going to go back to talk about the uh, Bethlehem or uh, the, the stable. The, we're not going to talk about travel, all that stuff. That, that, we will do plenty of that through this Christmas season. But what I want us to think about as we start Advent here, as we start Advent looking forward to Christmas, I want us to think about the Advent that is coming even beyond that. And actually, I can't even say beyond that in a sense of time because the Advent of Jesus could be t- tomorrow. It could be in it could be at uh, whatever time it is now, 1037. It could be coming, right? So it could come at any time, but we need to be ready. And we need to be waiting. And we need to be on our, just, just waiting, just like we waited for Christmas as children, but even greater as we wait on the second coming of Jesus. So I've already <clears throat> kind of got ahead of this a little bit, but let's look at some scripture as we talk about the double advent of Jesus, the double advent of Jesus, we need to talk about the fact that there was a first coming and a second coming that were both foretold in the Old Testament. Now, uh, many people of the Old Testament uh, at times got confused by this and trying to figure out who was who, and almost a lot of them actually thought there was going to be two separate figures that would come, but as the Old Testament makes very clear, there is going to be one Messiah that's going to come two times, not two Messiahs. And so that's what we're going to see throughout Scripture And so the double advent of Jesus is what we're here to talk about. The first advent, as we've already talked about, is that a child would be born to save the world. We see that in Isaiah 7-4. Isaiah 7-4, which is a classic uh, passage that we come to uh, every Christmas season. And we see that there's a child that will be born to save the world. Isaiah 7-14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. And we see that that was foretold all the way back in Isaiah, but it was fulfilled uh, in Jesus. Matthew one twenty three tells us that as it quotes this very verse, that Jesus is the one who this is referring to, that Jesus would be God with his people. Remember, Jesus came to repair a broken relationship between us and God that sin and rebellion had caused, and the baby who would come would be God with us to bring salvation to the world. There's going to be many other passages that we're going to read over the next four weeks that will tell us more about this first advent, that the baby would be the Messiah who would save his people from their sin. That is Jesus, and that's who we celebrate as we go into Advent. But the second part of this double advent, well, actually, the second part of this first advent, I must say that, so the child comes... But the child didn't just, it's not just like the baby came and everything was right. The child would grow up, the baby would grow up to suffer and die for the forgiveness of sin. As we look to the prophecies of Isaiah, Isaiah further on in his, in his prophecy says in Isaiah 53 that this baby, this one who would, who would be born, would now rise up to take on the punishment of sin for his people. And so part of the first advent, we can't just isolate it at the baby born in a manger, or not in the manger, but laid in the manger after he's born, right? We can't just isolate that as, oh, that's the first advent. The first advent is Jesus coming and also living, and then Jesus dying and rising again. All of what Jesus did is that first advent. Because remember, what was being looked forward to was the king who would save his people from their sins. That can't be done without all of that happening. And so the first advent then we see is is. Yes, a, a child is born to save the world. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. But then he must also suffer and die for the forgiveness of sins. Again, Isaiah 53, and we're going to be reading uh, verses 2 through 9. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, 
I'm sorry, lost my place, just a second. Uh, there we go. It's all right. Uh, that we should look at him, or no beauty that we should desire him. But he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah 53, and all throughout the New Testament you will see that it is very clear that the one that is being referred to, the suffering servant, is Jesus himself. It's seen in, in many, many places. And so we understand then that this Messiah that was born as a baby would, would grow up, would, die on, would live a perfect life, would die on the cross, would rise again, all so that we could have forgiveness of sin and have a relationship with God once again. That is the first advent. That is what everyone was looking forward to, even though they didn't all get it. And now we look back to that, but then let's talk about the double advent, the second part here. This child that was born to then suffer and die would come back to save his people forever and rule the world for all eternity. So this child would come back and save his people forever and rule over the world. Isaiah 9, we see this and we've just read this. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, yes, talks about the baby that is born, but then watch what it says about what the baby will go on to do. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For, un- for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We see that this second advent here is seen. That this child that would be born and then live and die, and now that child who is Jesus, who is the Messiah, is going to come back and rule forever over his people, over this whole world. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, the increase of his government will be no end. Peace will have no end. He will have a kingdom that he'll be ruling with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. More. This is what we're waiting for. We're waiting for this child to not only rule the spiritual kingdom that we're within, but to, take, to rule this whole world and come back for us. Indeed, the book of Hebrews tells us this very thing is going to happen. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. And we read what uh, the writer of Hebrews has to say about the idea of a double advent, that there would be two comings of Jesus. Verse 27 of Hebrews 9, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I love that phrase, eagerly waiting for him. The writer of Hebrews is saying, we're in Advent, right? We're in the Advent season. We're waiting for the second Advent, the second coming of Jesus. Because he came once to deal with sin. In other words, to, to do exactly what we've already talked about, to be born, to live a perfect life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve to die so that he would rise again, defeat sin and death, and give us hope for all eternity as we trust in him for our salvation. 
So he's dealt with sin, but now as he comes again, he's going to bring ultimate salvation. Ultimate salvation that will end the power and the presence of sin once and for all. And so as we wait for him to come again, to set all things right, to reverse everything that happened in Genesis chapter 3, as we wait for him to come, we are to be eagerly waiting for him to return. And my fear is, and my concern is, and even my own heart is, do I, am I really eagerly waiting for him? Or am I far too comfortable in the life I live, in the world I'm in? I, wanna, I want to see Christmas. I love to wait for Christmas, but do I love to wait for Jesus? It's something all of us have to ask, I believe, each day. So, that's by way of just a little, a lot of bit of introduction, I guess. The purpose of Advent is to prepare for the coming of Jesus, and now we've seen there was a first Advent and a second is coming. The Bible makes that clear. So now let's move into this, this next question then. How should we prepare as we wait for the next Advent? How should we prepare? And actually, uh, the, the book of Second Peter kind of asks us this question, right? Second Peter 3, uh, 10 through 13, talking about when Jesus will return. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are waiting for Jesus' return so that he will recreate the world. That he will bring new heavens, new earth. That is what we're waiting for as 2 Peter 3 tells us. But notice what he says in the midst of this. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness? It's a question. It's a rhetorical question like, what should we be doing? How should we be living? In other words, how are we preparing for the second coming? How are we embracing a, an Advent season of preparing as we wait? And so Second Peter is very clear that this is a question we need to ask uh, by the way, the, the word here, hastening the coming of the day of God, this, this word is an urgency word. It's the understanding that we are earnestly desiring, as the Holman Christian Standard Bible would translate it, earnestly desiring, urgently wanting to see it happen. That is the idea. We are waiting and it's urgent. We're waiting and it's something that we just are overcome with as we expect it eagerly. Are we that type of people? Are we expecting the coming of Jesus in a way that prepares us as we wait. So let's look at some things just from Scripture. And we're going to be, it's going to be a quick overview here of a bunch of different verses that talk about Jesus' second coming and how we should live in light of it. So let's start with 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 will tell us that we must be living holy lives. As we wait, as we prepare for Jesus to come back, we must be living holy lives, holy Set apart, set apart from the sin and the the rebellion of this world and set apart to God, like to serve him. This isn't perfection, but this is a a separation from the sin of this world towards our God. So 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the second coming. 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be also holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And so we see here that as we prepare to see, our, as we have our hope fully on the grace that we've brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the coming of Jesus, when we'll see him again, when he comes back, how should we live? And he says we should live as holy people, people that are not living in the ways of this world, right? Uh, he, he says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't live a life of sin and rebellion as we wait for Christ to come back, but live a life that is holy, set apart from sin, set apart to God. That is our responsibility as we wait for Jesus to come back. In the next thing we look at, I, I feel like this is actually kind of a subcategory of living holy lives, a subcategory of living holy lives, but specifically said in 1 Peter 4, 7, is that we must be self-controlled and sober-minded. 1 Peter 4, 7. We must be self-controlled and sober-minded. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, the end of all things is at hand. So that's what we're talking about. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 1 Peter 4 makes it very clear that as we wait on the end, as we wait for Jesus to come back, we will live a self-controlled and sober-minded life. One that is uh, settled, that we trust in God, and so therefore we are controlling ourselves and not giving in to the passions of this world, that we are sober-minded, we are, we are knowing what the Bible says, and we are knowing what his word is saying, and it's, it's allowing us to think in a way that is sober, a way that is calm, a way that is true. So we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded, not living a life of, of craziness out in our lives. It's kind of, you think about waiting on Christmas, right? I was thinking about this as I thought about this point. Like, wait on Christmas, we need to be self-controlled. Like, I could have gone into the closet and I could have seen all my gifts. Or other years, I could have gone under the tree and opened all my gifts a week before Christmas if I wanted to, but that's what I wasn't supposed to do, right? I needed to control myself and wait for the right time. And so we need to be controlled, we need to be sober-minded, we need to set our minds on what is Christ. Titus 2, 11 through 14 tells us more about what this looks like. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's that first advent. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Titus 2 says, listen, the grace of God has appeared. The first advent has happened. Therefore, you've been saved, and now we're being trained to walk away from ungodliness, walk away from worldly passions, and instead live a life that is controlled, upright, godly, a life that is honoring to God, knowing his word and applying it to our lives. And we do that because we're waiting for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This should, so a lot of times we talk about why should we live a life that is holy? Why should we live a self-controlled life? Why should we live a life of obedience to God? And a lot of answers could be given for that. A lot of answers could say, well, it's because we're doing it out of gratitude for what Jesus has done, and I think that's partially true. You could say, well, it's because it's just what we're supposed to do. That's probably not the right attitude, right? But the idea here is why do we obey? Why do we live this life? It's because we're looking forward to what's coming. Like this should inspire us to live a life that is worthy of what God would want us to be 
and to do. And so as we think about preparing, as we think about waiting, we need to live a life that is self-controlled, godly, upright, uh, not living like the world, but living different lives as God would have us live. But also as we wait on the day coming, not only do we live an obedient life of obedience, but we also need to be living a life in which we are loving one another. We must be loving one another is our next thing here. First Peter 4, we're back there. We looked at 4.7 already. Remember in, in 4.7 it said the end of all things is at hand. All right, so now we're going to continue on in what is said in 1 Peter 4. So 1 Peter 4.7 uh, says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So we're talking about the end of all, times, all things is coming. So then he says in verse 8 of 1 Peter 4, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Above all, as you see the end coming, Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. The coming of Jesus is not just about me. The coming of Jesus is about us. We all wait together. And that's what's beautiful about like a family Christmas. Everybody's waiting to see one another. Everyone's waiting to be a part of one another. Everybody's waiting to not only get gifts, but hopefully give and, and, and experience love and fellowship with each other. But here is the point. As Peter says, the end of all things is coming. So live self-controlled, live sober-minded lives, and then love one another. And actually, many of you know these verses, a couple of my favorite verses, oftentimes I'll use, but... Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. This is often used to talk about, you know, come to church, which is, it can be used that way, but I want to broaden it a little bit. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And watch this. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near is the second advent. It's the second coming of Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews says, as you get ready, you need to be with each other. You need to be loving one another. Doesn't mean you have to show up at church. Yes, that's part of it, but we need to be living a life in which we are connected with one another, we are loving one another, that we are stirring one another up to love and good works, that we are forgiving one another, we are loving one another, we are treating each other with respect, with hospitality, as Peter would tell us, because the end of all things is near. The, the, the world is coming to an end. Jesus is coming back. It's going to happen. So how do we prepare? Well, yes, we live holy lives, but we also need to do it with other people. We need to love one another. We need to be the body of Christ. We need to be his people. We need to come together, uh, not neglecting to meet together. And yes, that means we come to church together, but it also means do we live a life in which we are with one another it's not enough to just come on an hour on Sunday and say, yes, I saw the people of God. Do we live lives in which we are hospitable to one another daily, that we love one another, that we treat each other with love and honor and respect? That is something that is expected of us. And why do we do that? Not because it'll make our life easier, but because we're waiting to see Jesus come back. 
I think a lot of this, especially as we get to Hebrews, is this, like the encouragement part. Like, man, look at the world around us. Look where it's going. Like, it's, it's depressing sometimes. I mean, maybe you're not depressed by it. Maybe you think things are going great, but I, I don't know. Like, you look at the world, you look at everything and how it's just going crazy. And it can be so, so discouraging. It can be so depressing at times. If we get caught up in all of that, when things don't go our way in the, in, 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 in our, the world we live in, like, how often do we just lose hope because things aren't going the way we think they should? And, and we find ourselves so discouraged so often. We just came through, and this isn't just what it's about, but we just came through an election cycle where things didn't maybe go the way everybody wanted it to, not everybody, but certain people. So we're just going to put it that way. But the point is, like, we could say, oh, there's no hope now. Everything is lost. And it's like, no, 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 no. Okay, I know it's, I know it's discouraging, but don't let it divide you. Actually, unite, come together. The body of Christ needs to be together. Instead, what I, what I, and this is, I guess, I'm getting on a soapbox right now, but what I've seen happen, and I'm not just talking about our specific church, although I think there is some of it happening here, but what I'm seeing in churches and in the church, in the body of Christ, instead of being united as the day is drawing near, instead of encouraging each other as the day is drawing near, we're doing the exact opposite. We're dividing from each other. We're fighting each other. We're turning our backs on each other at the very time we need each other the most. Can I just encourage all of us to look to the people of God that are our brothers and sisters in Christ and love them and encourage them and so we can also feel the love and be encouraged as well. We need to love one another more now than any other time because we need to do it all the more as we see the day drawing near. By the way, what does that mean? Well, if Jesus doesn't come back today, then he's one closer, one day closer to coming back tomorrow. So I need to love and encourage you even more tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Until Jesus comes back, we need to live a life of love and encouragement as we stir one another up. And so please, just take some time to consider how you are connected with the body of Christ. We are not here just to prepare for his coming alone, but we are here to prepare together. We are at a time, I believe in history, and I think every point, every point of history is this is true, but we need each other more now than we ever have before. Let us not walk away from each other, but let us join hands. Let us love one another. Let us treat each other with true honor and respect because of Jesus, because he is coming back. Soapbox ended. So we must be live holy lives, we must be self-controlled and sober-minded, we must love one another. And then finally I want to say this, we must put our full trust in God. We must put our full trust in God. Later on in 1 Peter 4, we just read verses 7 through 11, but later on, as he continues to talk about what life is going to be like as we wait for the coming of Jesus, from 12 to 19 he talks about how suffering is going to be expected. Because if we're going to be living for Jesus as he's about to come back and the end time is drawing near, things are going to get worse and people are going to suffer. And his people, his people are going to suffer. And we need each other through that. But then he says in 1 Peter four nineteen, what I feel is the key as we think about all of what's coming. The end of the world is coming. Jesus is coming back. The world is going downhill. So what do we do? How do we respond? 1 Peter four nineteen. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What is our calling? How do we act as we wait for Jesus to come back and set right everything that is messed up? Well, 
We entrust our souls to a faithful creator. We trust God and we do good. We trust God and we do good. As we trust God, it will ultimately result in doing good. These two things go together because it just makes sense. If we're truly trusting God's promises, then we will do what is right because we are trusting in what he has said. So we must put our full trust in God as we wait for Jesus to return. A couple passages we've got to look at here. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This is a very popular passage, but I wonder if times we haven't understood the context. Philippians 4. We're going to start at the end of verse 5 and read through verse 7. The Lord is at hand. Right? So I think that's the part sometimes we miss. Sometimes we run, we just start right at verse 6. Okay, the Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord is coming. He's here. He's coming back. Right. The Lord is at hand. What does he say to do with that? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Talk a lot about peace as we come into Christmas time, right? And that the peace of God that passes all understanding comes as a result of us Trusting in God, being thankful to God, praying to him. By the way, prayer is really just us saying, I trust you, God. When we pray to him to do something or to be part of our lives, when we're praying, we're saying, I trust you. And we trust God instead of being anxious. Again, we live in a world that's going downhill. It's very easy to get anxious. It's very easy to get depressed. It's very easy to get discouraged. But we need to remember that we don't need to be anxious about these things because the Lord is at hand. No matter how bad things might seem, God is coming back. Jesus is coming. Therefore, don't be anxious, but look forward to it and be thankful. We just came out of the Thanksgiving season, right? And, and the point is, is, even if life isn't going the way we want it to, we can be thankful because God has given us the very greatest thing, and that is he's given us Jesus, he's given us salvation, and he's given us the promise that one day he's coming back again, and all of this, all of this junk that we have in our life today, in our world today, will be remedied through Jesus. He's coming back, and so therefore, since the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious, but trust him. That's the point. He's coming back, so stop being anxious and have peace. Have peace. Do you desire peace? Well, peace comes as we reflect on and we look forward to and we wait on the coming of Jesus. And one other passage this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. And, and 1 Thessalonians 5, if you look up this, this chapter, is all about preparing and being ready for the coming of Jesus. But at the very end of all of that, at the very end of 1 Thessalonians, he's told us all these things about Jesus is coming back, so be prepared, be ready, be looking. And at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, this is what he says. This is what Paul writes. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. He is faithful, he will surely do it. Well, what will he do? Well, first of all, he's going to come back, right? The coming of Jesus Christ is coming. But the other thing that he will surely do is sanctify us and keep us blameless. And so here's what I want to end with, because with all of what we've talked about, it'd be very easy to say, all right, I need to make a checklist of all the things I need to do to make sure that I'm ready for Jesus to come back. 
Like, kind of like what we do for Christmas, right? Well, I need to have my checklist. The gifts are bought. The food is ready. The, the tree is up. The lights are up. Whatever it is, you have that list, and you want to get all that list stuff done before Christmas comes. That's not really the point here. The point isn't that you make a list that you have to figure out how to do all these things. The point is, is to just give it to God, trust him, surrender to him, and say, listen, I, God, I need you to sanctify me. I need you to keep me blameless because you're coming back. I can't do it in myself. I need you. And this is where we come all the way back to what we've been talking about. We can't live holy lives or self-controlled or sober-minded lives. We can't love each other the way we should. We can't do any of that. We can't even really trust in God and, and have peace if we don't, our, where our life is not completely in, just given to God. That we have said, God, you take me and would you change me? Please, I need your grace. I need your mercy. Just begging for God to do his work in us. We could try to do all these things on our own. We can try to live holy lives. We can try to be self-controlled and sober-minded. We can try to love one another. But so many times we're going to fail, if we on- especially when we only lean into our own strength and our own ability. But God is the one. He, the God of peace is going to sanctify you completely. May he do that. May, and may he keep your soul and your spirit and body blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. As we live this world, in this world, of such just sin and depravity, as we live in this world, we need to be looking forward to the fact that Jesus is coming back. We need to be waiting eagerly. We need to be preparing by giving our lives for the service of God, by saying, I want to live for you, God. I don't want to live for myself. I'm not going to live for the world any longer, but I'm going to pursue you. That is the point. Would you pursue God as we look forward to Advent? We're looking forward to Christmas, yes, but we're looking forward to an even greater Christmas and even greater Advent that Jesus is coming back to set all things right. Are we truly, and are we truly, truly waiting and wanting to see Jesus come back? And so my conclusion is very simple this morning. Are you eagerly waiting for the second Advent of Jesus? Are you eagerly waiting for the second advent of Jesus? Are you looking for him to come? Are you living in light of the fact that he is coming back? Maybe for some of you today, you can't, you're not prepared for him to come back because you don't even know him. You haven't received his first advent, the, the offer that he gave as he came as a baby and lived a perfect life so that he could die a death for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins so you don't have to experience death and eternal separation from a relationship with God. You don't have to experience that because of what Jesus did in his first advent. And maybe you haven't received Jesus and you haven't looked to him and said, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to be save me and to be my Lord. Have you not done that? Then, of course, you don't want to be looking forward to the second coming because at the second coming, the other thing we've seen through this is that, and, and Pastor Justin has preached on this, there is also judgment When Jesus comes back, there will be judgment for those who don't know him, but there will be complete salvation for those who do. And so can I just plead with you, know him, know Jesus. And if you don't, don't leave today without talking to somebody, talking to me, whoever it needs to be, and and finding out more about how you can know Jesus for yourself and have a relationship with him so that you can look forward to him coming back. And for all of us today who do have a relationship with Jesus, who have received Jesus as our Savior It didn't just end when he was born, died, and rose again. He's coming back. So don't live a life of discouragement. Don't live a life of of constant fear and anxiety. Don't live a life in which you think you're just going to live for yourself because it doesn't matter. No, Jesus is coming back. 
The Bible is clear. He's coming back, so be ready. Prepare. So this Advent season, as we get ready for Christmas, yes, let us get ready. Let us prepare. But even more so, can we just look at our lives and say, am I eagerly waiting for the second Advent of Jesus? Am I really eagerly waiting? And if we are, it'll show up in the way we speak, the way we act, the way we love. It'll show up because we're truly wanting to see Jesus come back and it'll change the way we live. And so that's what we want to leave today as we think about Advent. We're not just at Advent about Jesus coming as a baby, but Jesus is coming back to set the world right. So if the worship team wants to make their way up, I'm gonna, we're going to sing a song that is not a typical Christmas song, okay? So let's get that out there. But it's a song that I think we can all sing. And, I, and I want, my hope and my prayer is that as we sing this song, it would be a prayer to God. Even so, come. Are we praying and looking for and hastening for the coming of Jesus again? And so as we sing this today, yes, it's not a traditional Christmas carol, but it is something we can sing as we, have, as we think about the advent of the greatest coming, the second coming of Jesus, as he fulfills everything that he has told us he will do. And so with that, let us rise and sing together.